0: This Parsha podcast is dedicated in loving memory and Ilunishmas Michal ben Shmuel and Yehudit, whose fourth yard site was this week. May his soul be elevated in heaven. I'm coming to y'all from the Torch Center in Houston, Texas. This is the Parsha podcast. My name is Yaakov Walby, and it's so wonderful to be studying Parsha's Tetzava with you today. Our parsha, the primary focus of the parsha, is a continuation of last week's parsha. We talked about the tabernacle. The Almighty instructs the Jewish people to construct for him a dwelling place. And they assemble all these various materials, and they are instructed about the various vessels that they must make and the specifications of all these vessels. And that continues... This week, with the primary focus being on the garments of the priests, the priests are the family of Aaron and his sons, and they are going to be the stewards, they're going to be managing the tabernacle and subsequently the temple, and they have to wear very special garments, four for an ordinary priest, an ordinary Kohen, and eight, eight special vestments for Aaron, the high priest, and his successors. The special materials to construct these very unique garments were assembled last week, or at least the instruction to assemble them, to collect them, was done last week. And in this week we're told how Moshe was instructed to fashion them into holy vestments. <laughs> for honor and for splendor. For Aaron, the high priest. Now, the Talmud tells us something really interesting about these vestments, about these garments. It tells us that the clothing of the high priest provided atonement. We know that in the temple, in the tabernacle, there were sacrifices and sacrifices were part of a process of repentance where people would bring a, a sacrifice and that would cleanse them from spiritual maladies and flaws. The clothing of the High Priest were told in the Talmud. The clothing themselves, when donned by this very special family Aaron and his descendants, they too provide atonement, and all eight were told all eight of the vestments of the High Priest provide atonement for different categories of sin, so the chson is the tunic that atones for any murder, and the breeches, the pants trousers for our friends in the United Kingdom, that atones for any illicit promiscuity. And the special hat that atones for arrogance. And the special belt that atones for illicit thoughts. As we know, human behavior can fall into one of three categories, thoughts, speech, and action. And we believe that our entirety of our life, the entire gamut of the human condition should be elevated, should be enlightened, should be informed by God. And therefore, our behavior, of course, should be proper, should be refined. But our speech should also be reflective of the level of greatness that our nation is supposed to aspire to. And even the thoughts of our heart, even the murmurings of our heart, even the thoughts that we have should be refined. And we're told that the special belt, the avnet, that atones for improper thoughts. And the breastplate, the choshen, that atones for incorrect, erroneous rulings of a court. And the ephod, the apron-like garment, that atones for idolatry. And the meil, the robe, that atones for lashon hara, evil talk. And finally, that sits the crown-like golden plate that went on the forehead of the high priest that atones for brazenness. Very interesting Talmud in the book of Zvachim on page 88b, that these garments weren't just garments that the Kohen Gadol had to wear, the high priest had to wear. They too were part of this atonement process that was the functioning of the Mishkan and subsequently the temple. Now, we mentioned this in the past, but it's worthwhile to mention it again. The general premise of the idea that garments provide atonement, the the high priest wears special garments, and that expiates the nation from their sins. It's kind of a strange idea. And the Maharal says that these garments are garments of royalty. In fact, if you look at the commentators, the Ramban, he goes through each one of these garments and shows how they are the special garments of royalty. And when we have a high priest, the spiritual leader of the people, the successor of Aaron, and they wear these very special and very striking garments, they remind us of who we are. They remind us of our exalted status. They remind us that we are a kingdom of priests. It's not just the high priest. All of us are described as kings, as priests. We have a very close and direct connection with the Almighty. We're all lofty, holy, and elevated. And of course, sometimes we forget that. Sometimes that reality is ignored. And that could lead to us making poor decisions, to us making Choices that are very unpriestly, unprincely, unkingly. And that's a sin. And thus, when we see the high priest dressed in such dramatic and beautiful and glorious garments of, of honor and splendor, like a king, and we remember really who we are and what we represent and our unique role in this world and our unique and direct Connection with the Almighty, that elevates all of us, and it brings us to a level above our sin. And thus, there is a degree of repentance, just witnessing that, and that's why there is a degree of atonement. Sin is a byproduct of failing to recognize your exalted stature. Forgetting for a second that you are a prince or a princess— and not behaving in the way that is fitting for who you are, when we see the high priest, it reminds us of who we are. It reminds us of what our nation represents, and that will provide atonement. But today I want to focus on one of the vestments, one of the garments, and that is the choshen, the choshen, the breastplate. We spoke about it last week, you may recall. This is a golden ornament worn on the chest of the Kohen Gadol, of the high priest. And there were 12 brackets. And each bracket contained a stone. And each stone had the name of one of the tribes. And there were 12 different stones. And the verses, of course, identify which stones correspond to which tribe and the exact layout of the stones. And I want to begin by assembling some of the things that we know about the breastplate, about the Choshen, and to see if we can develop perhaps a comprehensive theory of the breastplate, and draw a wonderful takeaway. So we a quote the Talmud. The Talmud tells us that each one of these special eight garments atones for a different sin. The breastplate atones for corruption of judgment. If you have a judge that ruled incorrectly, it's kind of a catastrophe. If you think about it, you know, a judge is not hired, is not in the position to offer their own independent ruling. In a Jewish court of law, the judge is not uh, spitballing, let's guesstimate, uh, maybe we can theorize or speculate, opine or posit. The judge is the representative of God. And the judge, when they render a ruling, is declaring... That this is the will of the Almighty. It's a very bold proclamation to render a ruling to adjudicate a case in a Jewish court of law. This is not my opinion. This is not what me and my fellow jurists conjured in our mind. I will tell you what the Almighty says in this matter. That is Jewish jurisprudence. And when something goes awry, it's a very big problem because someone claimed to pronounce the will of God in a given case, and they got it wrong. They misrepresented the will of the Almighty. This is a grave calamity. It's a disaster of enormous scale. And somehow, the high priest when the high priest, when the corn god, when Aaron wears the Hoshen, the breastplate, that atones for corruption of judgment. That we know, that's what's told to us in the Talmud that we mentioned earlier. And the question, maybe the first question we're going to ponder is why? Of all the sins, of all the garments, somehow the breastplate provides atonement for corruption of judgment. What is the connection between the Hoshan and corruption of judgment? Question number one. Question number two. We are told the backstory of the Khoshen, of the breastplate. And we're told why Aaron merited to wear the Khoshen, the breastplate, upon his heart. This goes all the way back to the beginning of Exodus. And we've spoken about this many times, of course. Veteran Parsha podcast. Listeners know this exchange well. Chapter 3 of Exodus. Moshe is in Midian. And he is shepherding his father-in-law Jethro's flock. And he arrives at a mountain. We know. We discovered that that is Mount Sinai. And he sees the burning bush. And he goes over to investigate. And he has his first prophecy take off your shoes, the place that you are standing is a holy land, it's a holy place. God commissions Moshe to go back to Egypt, back to his old stomping grounds, and go extract the nation from their plight, from their servitude. And there's a very long, back and forth, a very long dialogue between the Almighty and Moshe. Moshe is not so eager to undertake this responsibility. They won't believe me. I have a speech impediment. What name of God should I say sent me? Pharaoh won't believe me. They won't believe me. Back and forth, multiple objections. And the final objection is, send Aaron. Schlach nabiatu, send Aaron. I have an older brother, a very capable, very righteous, well-credentialed, older brother, send him. Why are you sending Me, why are you sending Moshe? And this objection arouses the Almighty's anger. And he says, Aaron, the Levite, you're worried about Aaron. Don't you know that when Aaron sees you, and he sees your elevated position, he'll see you, and he'll be happy, he'll be glad in his heart. And Rashi tells us, the God is telling Moshe that he made an incorrect assessment of Aaron. It's not that Aaron will be disappointed, will be miffed at the fact that his younger brother is ascending to greatness. No, Aaron will be glad in his heart when we see a friend that has a promotion. They get a new job. They get elevated to a new position. They get promoted. They get recognized. So of course we say, wow, bravo. Kudos to you. You really deserve it. But we may have a tendency in our heart to not really feel that same way. Ah, oh, could have been me. Oh, really? They're more talented than I am. Why do they deserve it? God is the clearing about Aaron. But Aaron is not like that. Verachah, he'll see you, and he'll see all the glory that you have, and he'll be delighted in his heart. V'samach Continues Rashi, and because of this, because of Aaron's magnanimity in accepting and celebrating in his heart, Moshe's promotion, that is why he merited to wear on his heart vachoshen, the breastplate. Why did Aaron, the first high priest, why did he merit to wear upon his heart the breastplate, vachoshen? Because in his heart, he was happy for Moshe. He was happy that Moshe, his younger brother, catapulted him, leap Frogged him and became the leader of the nation. And again, we have to ask the question, what is the connection between Aaron's gladness, Aaron's joy in seeing Moshe ascend to greatness? Why does that warrant that Aaron be deserving of wearing the Choshen upon his heart? That's question number two. So we have a few questions here. Why does the Choshen, the breastplate, why does that atone for corruption of judgment? And why does Aaron become deserving, meritorious of wearing the Hoshen because of his joy and gladness in his heart for seeing Moshe ascend? We have some more questions. The princes, as we mentioned many times in the past, the stones for the breastplate were brought by the leaders of the tribes, the Nisim, the princes. And this is, of course, simultaneously wonderful because these stones are very precious. As you mentioned last week, the profit that a gem dealer would make for one of these stones was either 600,000 or 800,000 gold coins. So these are very pricey stones. And the princes, they contributed these stones. But, Rashi tells us, and we've mentioned this in the past, the princes are also criticized, and a letter is deducted from their name. The word Nesim spelled missing a yud, And the reason is because they delayed in offering anything towards the fundraising effort. When Moshe issued the call for gold, for silver, for copper, and all these precious materials... The princess says, we'll wait. Let's see what everyone else gives. And whatever's not covered, whatever the nation fails to give, we will give. But the Jews, the populace, surprised them with their generosity. They gave with such resounding generosity that there was almost nothing left for the princes to give. And all that was left were these precious stones, the shoham stones for the afoot for the apron-like garment, and the miluim stones that I spoke about last week for the choshen, for the breastplate. And that is what the princes gave. Now, if the Jews were very generous, and they gave all the gold and all the silver and all the copper and the various... Wools and the skin and the wood, and the oil, and the spices, and the goat here, and the linen, etc. Why did the nation not contribute the stones as well? You know, they're very generous in every other area. They gave everything else. Why did they not give the precious stones? So I think the answer relates to what we mentioned last week. No one had these stones. You know, the nation, when they left Egypt, they fleeced the Egyptians. They came and they, quote-unquote, borrowed gold and silver and all sorts of precious things. So the nation was laden with gold and silver and various other precious commodities. But no one had these stones. Certainly not with these specifications that were needed. And these stones came with the manna. Now, you would imagine the nation's very generous, and had the Jews all received the precious stones with their manna, you would imagine that they would have offered it with the fundraising drive as well. Imagine if everyone got these precious stones out of the hundreds of thousands of Jews who are very generous, someone would have offered their manna-descending precious stones had they received it. It seems obvious that these stones did not come with the ordinary Jews' manna. Jews'? Is, is that a word? Jews'? Is. The ordinary Jews did not get it with their manna. It arrived only with the princess's, princess' is manna. And here's question number three. Why? Why did these precious stones only come with the manna of the princes. Now, if you were listening carefully, last week we offered an answer to this question, courtesy of R. Today, we're going to offer, please God, an additional answer. Now, the final piece that I want to mention here about the Hoshin is a curious law in our parasha chapter 28, verse 28, so it's twenty-eight, We're told that the choshen, the breastplate, has to be connected to the aphod, to the apron-like garment. There was a chain that went from the shoulder straps of the Kohen Gadol and the aphod, and it connected to the top corners of the you now Every year we get to this Parsha and I kind of regret not doing a video podcast. It's only audio. And the old joke that I say is that, well, I got, I got the perfect face for radio. But the truth is is that when I listen to podcasts, I don't like the video, the visuals. Ah, I prefer just the audio. But every year we try to describe what these things look like and it's much easier with a picture, so it's really hard to convey it. But you have this aphode, this apron-like garment that went on the back of the Kohen Gadol. And then it had these two suspender-like straps that went to the shoulders of the high priest of the Kohen Gadol. On top of each shoulder was a shoham stone with six names apiece. And then coming out of that, you had a golden chain that connected the you know, from the shoulders to the chest, it connected the ephod to the choshen, it connected the apron-like garment and the, the top shoulder straps to the breastplate. And the verse tells us that they have to be connected. And the choshen should not be removed, should not be severed or displaced, from the ephod. Now, there is a discussion here, Rashi and the Ramban, exactly what the word yizach means. Rashi says that, uh, you know, the problem is that this word does not appear anywhere else in all scripture. So Rashi says it means to to remove. So you cannot remove the choshen from the ephod. You cannot remove the breastplate from the apron-like garment. The Ramban is a different theory, and he says the word yizach is similar to the word yisach, because the zayin and the samach are sometimes interchangeable, but he agrees that the meaning is the same. But there's the law. Everyone agrees with the principle of the law, and that is that the choshen, the breastplate, and the ephod must be connected via this chain, and they cannot be separated. In fact, according to Rambam, one of the 630 mitzvot is this mitzvah, to not remove the breastplate from the apron, to not remove the choshen from the ephod. In Sefer HaChinuch, the book that counts the mitzvot in the order in which they appear in the Torah, this is mitzvah number 100. Shalo Yizach HaChoshen. The choshen should not be removed from upon the ephod. And this kind of adds another dilemma, another idea, another question to ponder. Why is it imperative that these two vestments, the choshen, the breastplate, and the ephod, the apron-like garment, why is it so important that they must always be constantly connected? What is the lesson? What is the idea? So, I read something very interesting in a book on the parsha by Rabbi Levinstein. It notes that the word Yizach, which, as we mentioned, the the Ramban and Rashi have different opinions as to what exactly this word means. This word Yizach can also refer to aloofness, to a feeling of superiority. So, for example, the midrash tells us that. When King David finished writing chapter 150 of the book of Psalms, he felt superior. He felt elevated. And he was a little bit aloof. Zacha, Daito. The same word, Yizach, Zacha. Says the Midrash, he felt superior. He felt just this, this incredible joy, this ecstasy of his achievement. And he goes over to God and says, God. Look what I just finished writing. Is there anything in the world that can match the praises that I've given to you in this book of praises, this book of Psalms? And then a frog, the Midrash tells us. The frog appeared to David and said to David, Lo to deit Don't be haughty. Don't be hubristic. Don't be aloof. Because I can praise God better than you ever can. And every praise that I give to God, I add 3,000 parables. Now, this is an interesting midrash on its own right. And the conversation between David and the frog and what it all means, of course, is a great mystery. But we see a precedent for the word Yizach. It can also mean aloof. So in this book, I saw a suggestion that the the breastplate has to be connected to the ephod. And the word yizach, it's hinting to the fact that the breastplate, the choshen, should not be aloof, should not be exalted, should not feel superior and thereby want to sever itself from the ephod. They have to always be connected. And the theory behind this is if you compare these two vestments, there are sufficient grounds for the khoshen, for the breastplate, to feel haughty, to feel superior. If you think about it, the, the aphode, it's made out of, of course, very precious wool and yarn of gold. But the materials of the khoshen, of the breastplate, are solid gold, and these precious stones... One of them, just one of the 12, would bestow a 600,000 or 800,000 gold coin profit for a gem dealer. Moreover, the breastplate has the names of the tribes, and there's also a back flap for the breastplate, and in that you have the urim and the tumim with the name of God, and the khoshen that goes on the chest near the heart of Aaron versus the Apho that went around the rear of the high priest. If you just compare these two garments, we could see how the breastplate can feel superior to the aphod. And therefore may want to say, well I'm on a different class. I'm much higher than you. I'm superior to you. I don't have to have an association with you. I'm going to be in my own little class and my own strata, the highest strata, not with you. Says the Torah, they have to be connected. V'lo yizachachoshen. The breastplate cannot lord, cannot be aloof, cannot feel haughty, cannot feel superior over the aphod. They have to be connected and can never be separated. And of course, this is talking about the vestments of the high priest, but it's very easily portable to human life. You have people that are like the Choshen. We call them the Choshen people. And they are greater. They're more intelligent, they're more beautiful, they're more successful, they're more powerful, more connected, more prestigious. Whatever it is, they're greater. And just as the Choshen There is a restriction, there is a prohibition, a transgression against the Choshan severing itself from the Aphod. The Choshan people cannot separate themselves from the Aphod people, those who are less powerful, intelligent, capable, connected, prestigious, and so on. The breastplate, the Choshan, can't be haughty. It cannot separate itself from the others, from the lower classes. It cannot exist on its own. It cannot exist when it's severed, when it's removed from the aphode. Doing that would violate the will of God. It's a sin to remove the breastplate from the aphode, And that, of course, is symbolic of what Khoshan people should do. They, too should not sever themselves from the rest of society. Doing that would be a violation of the will of God. They have to be intimately and permanently connected with everyone. Now, if we examine all the things that we know about the Hoshan, we can now appreciate it in this prism. The Talmud tells us that the Hoshan, it atones for corruption of judgment. And that's of course a great calamity. Someone is professing to convey the will of God and they say something wrong. Why would someone make such a mistake? A judge? How does such a mistake happen? So it's important to note it is very unlikely that a judge in a Torah court would make a mistake out of ignorance. To be a judge in a basedon, in in a court, you have to be immensely qualified. You have to have smicha, which essentially means that there is this conference of ordination that you know all of Torah. To be a judge, you have to be a a real world-class expert in all matters of law. So how would a mistake happen How would an erroneous judgment sneak its way past this incredibly capable, gifted, consummately credentialed judge? Perhaps the mistakes in a court are a result of Choshen people severing themselves from Afud people. If someone looks at the litigants, the people that they are judging, and they say, well, is it this, this case is so important. Does the plight of this less fortunate person really matter so much? I have bigger fish to fry. I don't need to focus all my attention on this matter. If a judge has that attitude, and they don't pay sufficient attention to the merits of the case and the arguments, if they think, well, this is not so important. I'm not dealing with like really important matters of state here. Uh, this is not some great scholar. This is some sort of law, some sort of case that's really not so important. Do uh, need to analyze all the details and uh, all the arguments and all the nuances? That is how mistakes happen. And thus corruption of judgment happens when the, the breastplate, when the the, the Choshen, the Choshen people, the talented, the educated, the to, the successful, when they kind of remove themselves from the lower classes, from the weaker, from the more feeble, from the lay people, those are the grounds for making a mistake in judgment. And how do you atone for it? How do you fix this? How do you undo this? How do you make sure this doesn't happen again? With the Choshen when it is firmly affixed to the fold, when the gems of society are inextricably linked with the rank and file, when the choshen is connected to the ephod, that is the way to atone, to rectify, to remedy a mistake of corruption of judgment. Now, Aaron merited the breastplate due to his graciousness In celebrating Moshe's appointment, Moshe's nomination to be the leader of the nation. If you think about it, Aaron displayed a complete lack of envy. He was happy. He was glad in his heart. Envy is the other side of hubris. Someone who feels superior to other people, someone who lords over other people. Someone like that, they want to maintain this hierarchy. And they're they're really threatened when others succeed. It's a challenge to them because they think that they're the best. They're on top of the world and they're severed and removed from other people. And what happens when someone catapults them? What happens when someone else succeeds and even succeeds in a way that's greater than them? That's really hard for someone who views themselves as superior to absorb. The notion that someone else is even more superior than you, for someone who is a gem but has severed themselves from the aphode, someone like that, they see others triumphing, others ascending, it gives them angst or angst. It gives them dissonance. It causes them pain from the fact that Aaron can legitimately, in his heart, celebrate the Moshe and not him, will become king. That means he doesn't have arrogance. He doesn't have hubris. He is not aloof. He does not view himself as being superior. He is worthy of exhibiting this by donning the Choshen upon his heart. Now the princes, they tarried, in responding to Moshe's fundraising call. And what was the reason behind that? And they said, well, we'll cover what no one else gives. There's going to be a lot of giving that's still possible. They thought that the people will not be in any rush to give and we'll cover what's not brought. These princes... Had a really low opinion of their constituents. We were generous. They, they're not going to give. They're not generous. They won't bring. They won't respond to give gold and silver and copper and all these expensive materials. But we were very generous. Think about these people. A few months ago, they were slaves. They don't know anything about generosity, they weren't trained. To give, but you can rely on our largesse. We'll cover whatever is left over. These princes, they were missing the lesson of the breastplate. They had severed themselves from the aphode elements. They viewed themselves as they're better. They're a higher class. They're more generous, more beneficent. We're higher quality. We're part of the Khoshan people. We're higher quality than the Afod people. And the truth is, they were dead wrong. The nation was much more generous than what the princes had forecasted. And the truth is that the nation would have given everything, including those stones, towards the drive, had the nation had those stones But God wanted to teach the princes a lesson. So he gave them the token, right, so to speak, to contribute these gems. He just placed it in their manna. And when they all get these gems in their manna, they realize, of course, that this is a message. You are able to give, but you're not even given from your own largesse. Not taking from your own wealth and giving it to the cause. You are being given these stones, you're being hand delivered these stones in your manna package, and you just gave back to God what he deposited in your manna. So God kind of made them go through the motions of partaking in the construction of the Mishran of the breastplate to give them a lesson. You're princes, your leaders, you're part of the breastplate. You're part of the Khoshan people, but the breastplate is only valid when it is attached to the Ephod. And your diagnosis of the people's lack of generosity—that was a result of your aloofness. You felt superior. I'm on a higher level, and they're on a lower level. We'll cover what they won't cover, because after all, there'd be a lot left over. Oh, of course, in the end, the people were even more generous than you. They gave out of their own pocket. You just shuffled what God gave you with your manna. You gave it back to him. Choshen people, princes, don't lord over the Ephod. Now, no one is more fitting to wear the choshen, the breastplate, than Aaron. In the Mishnah, in Pirkei he's described as the ohev oh, shalom. He loves peace. Rodev shalom. He Pursues peace. He loves people, loves humanity, Umerar on La Torah, and breeds them close to Torah. Aaron is someone who loves all people and is invested in the advancement, in the development, in the flourishing of all people. and he wants to be them close to Torah. He's connected with the masses and wants to elevate them as well. And therefore Aaron is the one who is fitting to wear the breastplate, to wear the Choshen, because he embodies the inseparable connection that the Choshen and the Choshen people must have with the Ephod and the Ephod people. this is why he had no envy. This is why he was glad in his heart when others succeeded, even when they leapfrogged him. When the lesson of the Choshen is ignored, you get problems. You get feelings of superiority over others. Even the leaders can go awry. The leaders had a gross underestimation of the goodness of others. The princes were way off in their assessment of the people's generosity. Why? Because they didn't have sufficiently the lesson of the Choshen people. And this is what leads to corruption of judgment. If there's a judge, undeniably a gem, a Khoshan people, when they are severed from the plight, from the state of the aphod, they can fail to take sufficient care in adjudicating their case, and mistakes can happen. The only way to fix that, the only way to prevent that, is by making sure that the Khoshan and the Khoshan people, the breastplate, is always connected with the aphode. Now, it's important to note that some people have a mistaken understanding of humility. What does it mean to be humble? Some people erroneously think that to be humble is to say, oh, I'm nothing, I have no talents, I have no ability, I have no skill, I have no greatness, I'm not gifted. That is. Wrong. Well, assuming someone is gifted, then to say that is, it's a real problem. Because if you're gifted, who gave you that gift? It's a gift from the Almighty. And if you deny it, if you repudiate it, then you're in effect rejecting the Almighty's gift. It's like a slap in the face, so to speak, to God. It's a gross ingratitude to the Almighty. That is not humility. That is ingratitude. Humility is for the gem to realize that they're a gem. To realize that they are something which can provide illumination and guidance and direction for the whole people. To realize that they're one of the the 12 most special people in the world. To realize that they have greatness, and they have talent, and they have ability, and they have achievements, they have accomplishments. They have success. If you're a gem, you'd better know that you're a gem. You have to be aware of it. But you also have to know what that means. That means that you have to always be connected to the eifod. You have greatness. To the degree of your greatness are the degree of demands that that places upon you. Know what you have, know where it came from, know that it came from God, and understand the role and the responsibility and the requirements that it places upon you. The amount of skill that you have, the amount of talent that you have, the amount of brilliance that you have, the shinier, the gem, so to speak, that the mind gives you, that is directly, Commensurate with what you are on the hook for, gems, precious stones amongst us, Hoshen people. Don't be haughty. Don't be aloof. Don't be Yizachachoshen. Don't feel superior. Don't disconnect from the Eifot. So, of course, we end off the Parsha podcast with a question, and this is a fun one. It's also a topical one because it relates to the upcoming festival of Purim as well. And it also relates to the Choshan, to the breastplate. So, As we know, there are 12 different stones, one per tribe on the Choshan. And in chapter 28, verse 17, we read that the the top row, the name of the three stones on the top row were Odem- so these are the, the names, the, the classes of stones that corresponded to Ruven, Shimon, and Levi. And then there was Nophich, Sapir, and Yahalom. And then Leshem, Shavu, and Ahlama. These are all names of stones. And the final row, the fourth row in the bottom, corresponding to the tribes of Asher, Joseph, and Benjamin, were Tarshish, Shoham, and Yashveh. These are the 12 stones identified by the Torah in chapter 28 of Exodus in our Parsha. Now, the Talmud in the book of Megillah, which is the book that deals with Purim and the Purim story, the Talmud makes a wonderful observation. In the book of Esther, which of course tells us the story of Esther and Mordechai and the Purim miracle, chapter 1, verse 14, we read that, Achashverosh, the king of Persia, he had seven advisors, and their names are Karshana, Shesar, Admasa, Tarshish, Meres, Marsana, and Memuchan. Names that uh, somehow are not as popular today as they were 2,500 years ago in Persia. But the Talmud notes that one of the names of Achashverosh's advisors was Tarshish. Which is the same name or the same word as the third to last, the anti-penultimate stone of the Choshen, the one that corresponds to the tribe of Asher. Isn't that an interesting observation? It relates both to the Parsha, that the tenth stone is called Tarshish, upon which the name Asher was inscribed. And Achashverosh's advisor, one of the seven in the book of Esther chapter 1, verse 14, one of the advisors of Ahasuerus' name was Tarshish as well. Tarshish is the name of the stone and the name of the advisor of Ahasuerus. Now, we, of course, we would totally miss this. It seems so random. It, it would not be noteworthy at all. But the Talmud... Connect them. And the Talmud says that these names weren't even the names of these advisors. These names were hints at prayers that the angels were saying on behalf of the Jewish people. Karshana, that was a a prayer. The angels were beseeching God. How could you allow the Persians to destroy the Jewish people? After all, the Jews... They offer sacrifices. Shesar. They offer bird sacrifices. Admosa. The Jews have an altar made of, of earth. Tarshish. How could you allow the Jews to be destroyed by these Persians? Don't you know that the Jews, we have a high priest who walks into the Holy of Holies, who has on the breastplate a stone called Tarshish. And so on, the Talmud explains all seven names of these seven advisors as prayers, as hinting to prayers that the angels said on behalf of the Jewish people. So it's not a coincidence that the name Tarshish is both the name of one of the stones of the breastplate of the Choshen And one of the names of Ahasuerus' advisors, it may not have even been his real name. It was a prayer highlighting the fact that we did service in the temple. We have a high priest who wore a breastplate and included upon the breastplate was a Tarshish stone. We have that. The Persians don't have that, and therefore the angels would use that as an argument why we should endure. But here's the question. There were 12 stones on the breastplate, on the Choshen. So the Honorable Mr. Tarshish, who was one of the advisors of Ahasuerus, his name wasn't even Tarshish, his name was something else, but this is highlighting the prayer of the angels. He could have been named Mr. Odam Pitda, Berekat, Leshem, Shabo Ahlama, etc. One of the names of the other stones, Mr. Yashfei. Why was Tarshish, the stone that corresponds to the tribe of Asher, why would that be the one that was selected? It's a little bit of a complicated question. And of course, it's based upon the Talmud, the book of Material, page 12b. So there are a lot of moving parts here. But the Talmud is telling us that there is something special about the Tarshish stone, the one that corresponds to the tribe of Asher, that it is fitting to represent the Jewish people. This is an interesting question. I did see an answer to it featured in the Meshech Chachma. But we should know there is something About the tribe of Asher that makes the tribe of Asher unique and worthy to represent the entire Jewish people in our standoff against the Persians. It's a good question to ponder. If you want to take a look at the Meshachachma, he gives a wonderful answer. And I appreciate you. I appreciate your listenership. I appreciate all the incredible support that our organization, Torch, has received for our annual fundraiser at givetorch.org. You'll be happy to learn that uh, as of this morning, I'm recording this on Tuesday, we had 854 donors towards our campaign at givetorch.org. And this is a noteworthy number because last year we had 758 Donors, generous donors, of course. Donors that we all appreciate and we cherish every single one. But that means there were almost 100 more donors than last year. So that's just incredible. And uh, I promised I wouldn't mention it again. But I figured just to give you the update of where it's holding, That's not I'm not asking for support. I'm not, I'm not asking you to go to givetourt.org and to contribute. I, I, I said I wouldn't ask anymore. Of course, I got to keep my word. So I'm not going to say to go to givetorch.org and to make a donation. But it's nice to know that we're almost 100 donors past last year, and that is wonderful. Thank you so much for an incredible year of the Parsha podcast. Thank you for listening to this installment. Have a wonderful day. Have a splendid day. Have a terrific, joyous rest of your week and the week before Purim, of course, In Shul, we're going to read Parashas Zachar to remember what Amalek did to us. May it be an invigorating Shabbos, an uplifting one, a exciting one, a delightful one, a meaningful one, a purposeful one. And please, God, with the help of the Almighty, we'll talk again next week. And as always, my email address is RabbiWolby at gmail.com.